We're going to start a new series. We'll run from now till Easter. The bad side of that is if you don't like it, you, you may not come back till after Easter. So there's that. But maybe you, you are intrigued by it, and maybe it'll be helpful for you. Um, it's it's, uh, it's kind of hard doing this series after what we went through uh, last year with a storm. Uh, it's not a gloom and doom series, but it's uh, challenging. Uh, some people avoid it thinking, well, if I don't look at it, Maybe it'll never happen to me. But you know, when I was 19 or 20, uh, I couldn't remember exactly, but I'd come to Jesus. I'd, I'd, I was solid in the Word of God. I'd, I'd already left uh, uh, opportunity of a career, of uh, uh, working with my dad in construction, becoming a contractor, and I'd gone to seminary school. And I was uh, living up there in a dorm room and uh, solid and as a not focused. I knew what I was going to do with my life. Um, I just, you know, uh, just kind of to set the stage, I get a letter one day. And if you just said, Jamie, you're going to get a letter from home, and I want you to guess the 50 worst things that could be in that letter. And this wouldn't have been in it. I wouldn't have guessed. Because in my mind, I had nowhere to put that this could be a possibility. And so that's what hits you the worst. And so it's a letter from my dad letting me know that he was divorcing my mother after 32 years of marriage. Now, I, I know in our culture, I never knew a divorced person in Fort Myers. I never knew one. I'm sure they were around. It's not like the introducer says, hi, I'm a divorced person. No, it's just I didn't know single mom families when I grew up. I knew some deadbeat dads. But I didn't know. I just, it did, and I had no, never saw my folks fight. Now, looking back, I see some real unhealthiness uh, in the marriage and and uh, letting the kids come between them, and, and you know, there's, there's lots of things. But I can't tell you the, the volatile reaction I had. I mean, I literally destroyed my, my, uh, my room. I'd never done this over anything. I, 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 I tore apart uh, uh, my room, shredded it, got in my car, and I happened to bring my Bible. And, you know, I, I still love Jesus, and it rocked me, but I drove back. Uh, about an hour, 15 minutes from Jacksonville, where I was, and seminary to Lake City, where I went to forestry school, and I was went out to the section of woods I'd been out to before. It's not a campground, just some woods. And I took a baseball bat, and I just started beating trees and breaking things until the bat broke. And then I used it in my bare hands, and I dug this big hole, big pit. And I just dirt, filth, and I'm crying, and I, I put wood in there, started my fire, and I'm just exhausted. And I got my Bible, and I just said, God, help. I need something from you. And the Bible broke open to a section that I'd never read, and it opened to the book of Job. I kind of thought it meant job, the book of job. I thought, oh, God, he's going to talk to me about getting a job, another job. I already got a job, and maybe it's a book about your job, and, but it's pronounced Job. And I met at that time what since became my ugly priest. I call him an ugly priest. Uh, it'll make more sense as you go through the story. The first verses we look at today, he's not so ugly. He's an amazing guy, successful, good man. And he stays that the whole book, but he shows his humanness. That's when we use the word ugly. You'll learn that in UIO. We don't use it about physical appearance. We don't use it about you know, trying to describe somebody's, uh, but we use it to say what that song we said, you know, I'm, I'm singing about being weak, 
ugly to us is our weakness, our brokenness, our need for God. And Job goes through this, and he needs God more than anybody. And, and it's a book of, uh, it's not a book about answering the questions of why is life unfair. It's not a book that's going to give you any, in fact, at the end of it, which I encourage you, read the end first. Spoiler alert. But read the end first. It's not like you're going to find out at the end that the guy through the whole show was really dead, but you thought he was alive through the whole show. Now you get to the end of it, and he was dead the whole time. Now you're not going to get there and find out Job wasn't alive. He lived through it. You're going to see the redemption and the hope and the, the, the ending of God. I, I think it's really important to read the end, and I encourage you to kind of wait till we teach some on the friends. You can, you can, it's hard reading once you get past chapter 2. It moves into more poetic. It's the oldest history when it happened of any book in the Bible. Now, it was written years later, not by Job, by someone else, and we don't know who. We don't know where he lived. Uh, all we know about Job is what we find in the book of Job. And so, but it was, a, he probably lived around the time of Abraham when the Jewish nation was just getting started. But Job became my ugly priest that day, and I've, I've walked with him many times since. I love, I love Job. Uh, you're going to find Jesus in Job. Now, my wife and I were up in South Carolina. We're in a coffee shop, and she spotted this little plaque. Said, I'm going to get that for you. And I teased my father-in-law. said, man, that looks like you. And he didn't like it. And, uh, uh, but let me show you. This is our graphic that we're going to use in the series uh, called My Ugly Priest. And that, that's, that's my priest right there. In my mind, that's what Job looks like at the end. Because he'd shaved his head and grieved. Now he let his hair go. Just let it go. Who can comb your hair? No, why comb it? I'm happy to have it. He's smoking a pipe. I just, I don't know if I'd go to a priest that didn't smoke a pipe. I want somebody that's real. I don't want, I don't, I don't want fake. You don't have to smoke a pipe to be real. It just says he's human. He's, and just the war map on his face, you know, the eyes. There's a, there's a sadness but a wisdom. And there's, a, there's a, an intriguing light in there, too, if you look. I got it on my desk looking at me, and, and uh, I, I love my patron saint of those that are suffering in darkness and in pain. And, and you know, my, my pain that day, when you read what happens to him in the first chapter, let alone the first two, it's, it's, mine was incomparable. But in my world, I didn't crack open the book of Job and find answers to why my mom and dad got divorced. I cracked the book of Job and began to find out that God can still be there when all hell is breaking loose. God can still be kind and good when all hell is breaking loose. And if you don't discover that, some of you, this series will help you find a priest that can take you back to your past and some of the traumatic things you unjustly went through or maybe bad choices but it'll help you process it in a healthy way. Some of you are going to go through this series because you're living in the middle of it. You're living in the middle of challenges and trials and tests that are far more than you've ever dealt with in your life. Others of us, it could be something coming someday down the line. There, faith is not a guarantee. It's not like getting the flu shot or COVID, for not that that helped any, but getting the COVID shot. I know people, don't, they don't get my humor. Some of it bothers people. I, Lighten up. I got the shot, so lighten up. Didn't do me any good, but I got the shot. I'd bother, hadn't bothered me since. 
if you don't learn to laugh a little, you won't make it in this church. Let me just help you. Lighten up. You're no big deal. I'm no big deal. Job, on the other hand, is a big deal. Because he's already finished his course. He ended standing. He ended with his faith. He never lost it. He fell down a few times. He got in the face of God a few times. He said some things that were like, and God loved it because he loved him. And he loved the fact that Job never got to read. When God restored him, God never told him what we were going to know this morning. So we have so many advantages that he didn't have. But I want you to let him be a guide in this series. So whatever it is you're going, it's not, a pers- it's not like, well, other people have suffered way worse. I'm sure they have. But your suffering is your suffering. And it's real. And it's your pain. Whether it's going through a broken marriage or your parents gone through a broken marriage. Or whether it's going through a disease attack and, 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 or financial or, or whatever. Their life, is, life is unfair. And if you haven't got that far yet, you're not very old. Where you haven't screamed at your parents or screamed at somebody. Life isn't fair. The book of Job will tell you life's not fair, and it's hard. It can be really hard for some people at some times, terribly hard, unfairly hard. Why do bad things happen to good people? The book of Job will give us really no answers, but it will give us the healing hope of the presence of God in the midst of the unknown and the mystery. And so if that's not enough, Job's got nothing more to answer. God, at the end of the book, doesn't give him one explanation. He just gives him himself. And Job found in God all that he needed. Because, you know, answers, Job loses ten children. Ten. All. Seven sons and three daughters. Ten in one day. Would answers do anything? to No, they're not going to bring those kids back. They're dead. Well, really, oh, it's this what's going on and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't, it doesn't heal pain to give answers. In fact, he has three friends that come along that are complete idiots. They are theologically often have some really good things to say. And I want to help you kind of sift through what's dark in what they say. Some of it's obvious. They're condemning. They have a false view of God. They're legalistic. There's lack any mercy, compassion, or grace. I mean, they're the worst side of religion you can get are those friends that come in. In many ways, they're harder than losing his kids. You know, because they, the whole, so, so here we are, we're at Job. I want to introduce him this morning to you and just kind of pull the curtains back, get a glimpse behind the scenes as we're going to go through this series. And hopefully he'll become your ugly priest as well. Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz... There lived a man, and I like that. He's just a, there's a word we'll look at in the New Testament down the line, but it just means someone just like us. So don't think of Job as some superhuman being, though when you read about him at, at the front end, you're going to go, wow, this dude is an amazing guy. He was a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. That doesn't mean he never sinned or didn't have struggles or failures. He just was honest with God and dealt with it, didn't hide things from God. He wasn't corrupt inside. He was repentive, and he understood what it was to avoid and shun and be, be concerned about evil in his life. He had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep. 
3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. You could write Elon Musk there or Bill Gates if that struggles you or whatever. I mean, we're talking a really wealthy person in that day. The greatest in the East, which is east of Israel. We don't know where, but many people think it's in the area of Edom. That's now Jordan. Um, but we don't know. It doesn't matter. He probably wasn't an Israeli, uh, though Abraham was just getting the whole tribe uh, started and, and way before Moses, way before the law and the sacrifices. But you'll see that there's, 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 there's God concepts that are only from the people of God that you'll find in his life. Now, you've got to understand, he doesn't know any of this is being said or written at this point. Verse 4, his sons used to uh, take turns holding feasts in their homes. He's just extenuating they had a lot of money. These are sons that are like princes. Uh, they're, their dad's wealthy, they're wealthy. They have big parties. They have their sisters come. They eat and drink. And after a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would offer a sacrifice, a burnt offering for each of his children, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. I love this last part of the verse. It's every parent in here should get a hold of that verse, this verse. It was Job's regular custom. It was his habit of life. What was? Interceding for being a priest to his family. Now, in the vineyard, we don't take that as a masculine role only. We believe that the male and female are called to rule together in the grace of life as heirs together. And we don't believe in the headship of man as though he rules over his wife. We believe in a joint heir headship that a man and a woman lead their home as priests in their home. There's sometimes my wife has to lead me as a priest and there's sometimes I lead her. But the bottom line is, is you're, if you're a parent, you're called single mom or not. You're called to be a priest to your children. That means you represent God to them. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but when you fail, you acknowledge it. You don't preach at them one thing and then live another. And you care about them. And sometimes as a parent, the older your children get, the less, uh, what's the word, uh, your arm shrinks and what you can get a hold of. When my kids were younger, I could get a hold of them. They didn't go into stores and break things. We played funny fold your hands. They, they put their hands together, and they were in a store, and if they took them apart, they didn't win the prize afterwards. And if they took them apart, they, they had some consequences to that because my kids never went and broke stuff in a store. You know, it, why? Because I, as, a, as a parent, you have to be a police officer too. Kids hate that. But if you love your kids, you have a curfew. If you love your kids, there's some people they're not going to be around. If you love your kids, some people aren't going to babysit them. If you love your kids, there are places they're not going to go, things they're not going to watch. And if they don't like you being a cop, they're going to have a rough time the rest of their life. But officer, I know I was speeding, but my parents never made me do anything right. Sorry, you're getting a ticket. world's full of rules, and, and but but older your kids get, the less you can be a cop. You got to start being a mentor and and being a priest. And you know, much of my wife and I's life is spent in prayer over my not just my children anymore, and my son-in-laws, but our grandchildren. And we 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 try to practice Job and 
God, have mercy on them. Watch over them. Forgive them, Lord, if they're making bad choices. And we offer sacrifices. Obviously, what our hope is built in is the sacrifice of Jesus. It's interesting. This book will begin with a sacrifice, and it ends with one. And it's kind of God's way of putting Jesus slap dab in the middle of this book. Now, obviously, this is thousands of years before Christ comes, but the hope of a Messiah is from the book of Genesis. It's from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Then Job knew that. He knew that these offerings were innocent blood victims, innocent blood shed for the sins of others. So he understood redemption. So this is a, he's, it doesn't call him a priest here, but he's acting as a priest. And I just encourage your family leaders, moms, dads, grandparents, Boy, don't underestimate the power of your prayers, the, the power of your cries out to God. Now, you might say, well, he did this for his kids, and they ended up getting killed. What good did it do? See, those are the battles of faith, but what we do know is though they were killed in innocence, their hearts were safe in faith, that they were rescued by their faith, into the presence of God, which, anyway, I won't, I'll, we'll talk more about that as we go in the future. Now, the, the curtains get pulled back. Remember, Job doesn't see this. He never sees this till after he dies. Verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, who was an angel, but he's differentiated between the rest because he has sinned and rebelled by this point, way before the Garden of Eden. Now, if you want to read about it, you like to do a little increased study, you could read the book of Isaiah chapter 14, which is a prophecy about a king, but it's way more than that. It's a prophecy about Lucifer. And then Ezekiel 28, you can read about the background of Satan, filled with pride, wanted to worship, wanted to be worshipped, resented God and rebelled. Now, he still has access to God with these angels, and it's interesting. God says, verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, where you come from? I like to put a little southern accent in there. Where are you being, boy? Because if you think God needed the answer, you need to trade him in for a better God. If you think God ever asked a question because he doesn't know the answer, trade him in. He didn't say to Adam in the garden, Adam, where are you, man? I can't, I can't see. I'm old. I, I can't, you know. He, he, he asked questions to provoke answers that he, that he wants them to hear out of their own mouths instead of making an accusation. They'll accuse themselves. Where have you been? What have you been up to there? And the enemy, in deceptive vagueness, responds in verse 7 saying, Satan answered, well, I've been around. I've been roaming through the earth, going back and forth. Not as a travel, not on holiday. You know from 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, the enemy, Satan, goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for someone to kill, steal, or destroy from. That's his nature. We learn in the New Testament. Jesus said he's a liar and he's the father of lies. He's a murderer. From the beginning in the book of Genesis, the first 
violent murder was over worship. It was over jealousy. It was over Cain and Abel. And Cain couldn't stand it that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and didn't accept his. And he killed. The word that the Bible uses is he slaughtered him like a sacrifice, gutted him. So we don't need to, the world goes crazy every time there's a mass shooting. Well, you know, they do the diagnosis. It's the same drama. The politicians get up, blah, blah, blah. Conservative people, blah, 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 fight for the guns. The, the liberals, blah, blah, blah. And we don't know we're going to get into blah, blah, blah. We're going to And they never deal with any of the, the, the root issues of a society that's turned its back on God. Kids that are inundated with massive amounts of violence and Internet and all the, the crap that's out there and the medications that are just gone like candy. To, I mean, they don't ever deal. They just blah, 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 blah. The bottom line is they have no idea. But we, on the other hand, have an awareness of another realm that's going on beyond this realm. The curtain's back. And Job's story is a story about two different realms. Job never knows what went down in this meeting here. I've been around. Oh, have you? Hmm. Have you considered, verse 8, have you considered my servant? This is God's affirmation of his son, his child. His, there's no greater category than for God to say, you're my servant. Not in a slave sense, but in a, wow, he serves me, he worships me, he honors me. You're going to see a proud papa here. This is God bragging on his boy. I love this. Have you know, have you, have you, have you, just by chance, he's been drooling over getting his hands on Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth. He's blameless, upright. He fears God and shuns evil. Now, Job doesn't know that that's what God thinks about him. Job's going to have friends that tell him that God's mad at him. God's punishing him. God's judging him. He'll even have one of his comforters tell him that your sons died because of your sin. I have a friend, pastor friend, that he had a, a son five years ago, 21, 22, committed suicide. He had a religious person that had an angst with him over something else and accused the son of committing suicide because of how he was parented. You can't get darker than that. And that's what Job's going to face when you read. You're going to have to learn how to read the interactions because some of the things they say are true but wrongly applied. Some of the things they say are false and misrepresent who God is. And so you've got to learn to sift a little bit and use some discernment, as you should do And whoever's preaching to you, whatever you're listening to on the radio or on the TV or read. You've got to have discernment. And you've got to use your, your own uh, uh, perspective of, God, is this something that honors you? And is it right and true? So Job doesn't know that God's bragging on him. In a sense, you could argue God starts the fight. Except he knew this guy like a wolf's been circling Job, drooling, wanting to get to him. Hates him. Why would he hate Job? Because he's everything that the devil is not. He loves God. He's righteous. And he's got ten children coming along. They're going to be just like him. He's going to influence him as he does his whole community, his whole area. 
He's called the greatest man in the East. And he gives all the glory to God. He has impact. You don't know how many times you'll hear of missionaries, pastors, and you see their kids get assaulted in unjust ways. And there is no other reason than they're hated. Their children are hated. The parents are hated. But ultimately, his issue is with God. He hates. You're going to see mock God here in a minute. Standing in the presence of God. He's going to insult him. He's going to accuse him. He's going to degrade him. This is the dark one that we have to deal with. God says, have you, have you considered my boy? He can take you any day. Now, you just put it in a worldly sense. One dad chest bumping another dad. My boy will take you down to Chinatown. You want to see? Let's bring it on. I mean, that you, I know that gets too earthy for some people, and it can sound cruel, but it's, 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 it's God saying, I, I'm putting it on the line for my boy. I got confidence in him. I got no confidence in you. You're going to lose. You're going down. You're not going to win. But it feels like people write books about it, the cruel God that would allow such a meaningless test. And, blah. and if God, I, I, there's multiple other reasons. But just to make it personal, if Job hadn't gone through what he went through, in 1977, when I was on my face before God in a forest in Lake City, building a fire and needing hope, I wouldn't have had a priest that I could relate to. Someone to put his arms around me and say, it's going to be all right, son. Someone that's smoking a pipe saying, God's still good. You can trust him. I can't explain it. I learned the hard way that answers are not healing. God's presence is. Go for his presence, son. Joe became that to me and to thousands of other pilgrims that walked the dark valley of pain and suffering that they didn't do anything to bring on themselves. Unjust things, abuse and rape and having loved ones make horrible choices and you walk that path, you didn't want life, the unfairness of life. See, because the book of Job will teach us that you don't manipulate God with your faith. You'll see that in a minute because that's what Satan thinks it's all about. God says, hey, have you seen my servant Job? You've been thinking about him? What do you think about him? Satan answers, verse 9, with a question. Does Job fear or worship you for no reason? The implication is, you're such a terrible God, you have to bribe people to like you. That's what the implication is. Because he knows human nature. Because human nature, we tend to make the bottom line, what's this do for me? How's this? Now, that can, it's not necessarily evil. But when you ask, how's this help me? How does this benefit me? How does faith make a difference? But see, if you're hooked into following Jesus because he gives you one blessing a day that keeps the devil away, if you're into following Jesus because he's like the song that said years ago after I wanted to throw up, I heard it on the Christian radio, 
I know that God loves me because of all the presents under the Christmas tree. What about the kid that didn't have any presents? Didn't even have a tree. God doesn't love them. Now, of course, that's the theology. If blessings are what causes you to be a servant of God, and you love him because nobody wants a friend that you think loves you just to get from you. I don't. I, I you know, I, I just, I, I don't have friends that keep score, number one. You'll never be a close personal friend in our life if you're a scorekeeper. Hey, I called you three times. You never called me back. Big baby, get over it. You're not going to be my friend. If you keep score, nah. I have friends that we don't talk for three months. But when we do, we pick up where we left off. We didn't grade each other. Hey, man, you didn't text. You haven't. That's, that's performance-based friendships. They're never healthy. They'll, they'll implode. In fact, until you've been hurt by a friend and you still love them, you're probably not much of a friend. My friends, it, I tell them, it costs to be my friend. you got to love me when I'm unlovable. And I'll love you when you're unlovable. Job is being accused of loving God because God's got the stuff. And he, 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 he's giving you all the sheep and all the camels and all the kids. And who wouldn't love him? You're blessed. You got no trials, no heartache. It's just one blessing a day. And then Satan says this. Does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not put a hedge about him and his household and everything he has? The answer to that is yes. What the hedge is, is God's sovereign protection. It's his angels. Often in the Bible, they stand guard over us. I pray that on a regular basis over my marriage, over my children, my grandchildren, over this church. There's not a weekend I don't pray, God, put your hedge around us. Let nobody come in here with bad motives. Let no one come in here that's a predator. Let no one come in here that has motives that are disruptive to this church and divisive. Lord, if they do happen to come in, let them shine like a neon light and they can just Take care, we can take care of it and protect the body. I pray for protection, and I, I pray for my life to be hedged and protected. Now, the only way I see in the Bible that you get out of that hedge is, one is you climb over it in rebellion, and you go after your own way and your own sin, turning your back on God. I'm not going to say he's going to give up on you. I'm just saying you're in dangerous territory. You can't guarantee that. And the second way is sometimes God lifts it, and he's about to do that. I can't explain that. I'm not going to try to defend God in that. I'm just going to say I know God that this was the hardest book in the Bible other than his son Jesus. What's about to go down is as painful on the father as it is on his son Job. To let him go through this trial and keep his mouth closed and be silent and hold back and have him falsely represented by these friends. By the enemy lying in Job's mind, God hates you. God's mad at you. God's punishing you. God's giving up on you. Satan says, you got a hedge around him. Of course he loves you. Then he says, you've blessed the work of his hands, so his flocks and herds. And both those things are true, but he's spinning them, as demonic accuser does. He's spinning it. See, that's why Job loves you. 
He doesn't love you. He loves your stuff. He loves your protection. He's using you. You couldn't have friends if you didn't buy them. How insulting. I would have just smashed Satan right then. Game over. But God has a bigger plan, and he knows he will be smashed. If you read the book of Revelation, he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. His day's coming. His days are numbered. He's already been defeated, but God had a plan to bring redemption. Job's part of that plan. I can't say this of any fact, Bible-wise. Bible. I'm just theory. I'm convinced that Job and or his influence and or his sons and daughters that he's given the second time around, somebody has a connection to Jesus, the Messiah. I don't know that. But I know that the enemy hates redemption and he hates the Redeemer more than anything else. He hates God and he hates whatever represents God. If you're not hated by the devil, then you're in a place of compromise that you're actually a servant of darkness. You're hated by the devil by just following Jesus. You say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to battle. I don't want to go into cause. Let me tell you something. It's worse than being hated by the devil, it's missing the presence of God. Let me just tell you something. I'd rather be God's friend and the devil's enemy than the devil's friend and God's enemy. And there's no mental ground. I'm just trying to get along with everybody. Can we all just get along? Because there's a war. There's a conflict. There's a battle. You've got to be on one side or the other. There's no Switzerland in the kingdom of God. Flying its little neutral flag because it got all the money hidden all over there. No offense to the Swiss that are here. Do you know how hard it is being my personality preaching in this politically correct, neurotic environment? Do you know how hard it is? I've made huge improvements, believe it or not. I know for some, not near enough. Some people say, oh, God, oh, don't let him tell you any ethnic teasing. No, no states, no jokes about, no, God, please help him. We just live in a paranoid culture. Lighten up. Life's too short. Think about Job. Listen, it's on. Game on. God says, okay, this is one of the most gripping verses in the whole Bible. Verse 12. The Lord says to Satan, very well. Now, I want to say that with what I think, the emotions. Tears running. Very well. With sadness gripping and knowing what he's about to set in motion, allow to happen. There's a whole underlying message that we'll touch on through this series on the endurance of God. We always see the endurance of Job, which is real. But what is God suffering? What did God suffer when his son was on the cross? We always highlight the suffering of Jesus. That's why I love the scene in the Passion at the cross where one giant tear drops from heaven. It rocks the world. If you don't think the father wept over Job, just as much as he cries with, and I'm not trying to humanize him, he's a compassionate, beyond anything you could dream of, compassionate God. He feels your pain. When you feel like he's unaware 
and unconcerned, that's the breath of darkness trying to rob your faith, which is always the battle. It's always the target. Your trust in God. In the Garden of Eden, it was, oh, did God really say you can't eat of all these? Dad, you, you're certainly not going to die. He started with the doubting of the goodness of God, the, the, the truthfulness of the Father. So here is God saying, okay, game on. Everything that he has is in your hands. But, here's the hedge. It's shrunk, but it's still there. But, on the man himself, don't lay a finger. Martin Luther, the Reformation, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther back in the 1500s, 1517, he wrote the 95 Theses was nailed into the Wittenberg door. Anyway, started the Reformation. He said it this way. Never forget that the devil is God's devil. He's on a leash. He doesn't, he's not, it's not dualism. It's not there's God and there's a devil. They're fighting it out. Is it going to be God? He could squash him like a bug anytime he wanted to. God made him. But he's allowing the universe to function with the restraint of love. That God has chosen that I want people to love me because they love me. Not because they're afraid of me. And not because I give them good stuff. They just love me because I love them. Do you? You only know those answers. Is that my friend? Only when I'm going well or when I'm in a jam? Are they my buddies when I got money? But what happens when I have no money? In a marriage? No different. What's the motive for love? Satan put his money on selfishness. You take away the good stuff, he's going to curse you. That's what, he, that's what the enemy wanted to be able to inspire Job, to curse God to his face, to renounce his faith. Now, he argues with God. He complains. He's angry. He sticks his finger in God's face like a, like a teenager, you know, having it out with their parent. I mean, and you know what God does the whole time? He said, that's my boy. I love him. You need a hug, Job, but I can't do it right now. He loves Job. Now, he has a come-to-Jesus moment with Job at the end of the book, and he never answers one of Job's questions, and Job never asks another question. He just meets the living God and says, wow. I've heard about you. Now I've seen you. Don't need any answers. I trust you. I love you. You love me. You're kind. This is before he gets anything back. Job repents before there's any restoration. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. So let me just say this. God says, okay. There are times in our lives that that's going to happen. Now, I'm not trying to have a simplicity theology that says everything that ever happens and give too much credit to the enemy. But there are times that you're under a severe attack, and it's far more than just something earthly. And it's far more than just something that you could explain. What the enemy wants to do is blame it on God. So there's not easy answers, but there is truth in this book. And the ugly priest will help you to see that in the midst of all the pain and the hell that came on him, he found that there was a God that his Redeemer liveth. Job had faith that he never gave up on. Now, let me just close with the response of the devil. The end of verse 12. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Didn't wait. In a hurry, he left. Blood thirsty 
like a starving wolf, he went out to get his hands on everything, everything that Job, and the rest of the chapter covers that, everything. The only thing he doesn't take is Job's life and his wife, but he takes everything else, everything, in one day. Now, again, the point here isn't that your, your suffering is of no big deal because you're nothing like Job. Your suffering is your suffering. Losing a parent when you're young, that's suffering. Having people lie about you, having being bullied on the end, that's suffering. There's, there's so much pain in this world right now. And some people find the solution by curling up in a ball and just saying life's not fair. And they live as a victim. And life isn't fair. It's not. And walking with Jesus doesn't make life fair. Now, we'll talk about this through the series, but there are huge benefits to loving, following, worshiping Jesus, staying in that edge, being blessed, protected, avoiding many, many traps that you could have walked into. There's huge, huge blessings. But sometimes it's a drought. And you have to be faithful when it's not raining. You have to be faithful when the blessings aren't coming. You have to be faithful when the life is hard and there's no explanations. You have to stand your ground and learn to have an ugly priest like Job, who's already been there, already done that. Let him give you some encouragement to hang in there. Stay strong in the Lord and don't give up. You can be honest with God. He can handle your honesty. So some of you need to go back. And let, let, let Job kind of walk with you back with some stuff that's happened to you in the past. And give it to Jesus in a fresh way without asking for answers. But just trust. God lives in the trust. Then you can be right now where you're going to be reading Job. He'll be your priest in the middle of some major challenges right now. And some of you may be doing well. And somebody you love is about to go through something major. Or maybe it's you. I don't know. We, it's not predictive, and I don't want to be paranoid. Teach it. That's why I thought, I don't want to teach on the book. It makes me paranoid. Who, you, who wants to pick the book of Job to teach on? I, I don't want to live it. I don't want anything. I, I, and I got to think, you know what? That's just the opposite of the truth. The enemy loses. I don't have to walk in paranoia. I walk in the confidence in God, a God that's bigger than the enemy I'll ever have to face. That's why Peter tells us, and where we read that verse, like a roaring lion, the next verse says, resist him. He'll run from you. You just stand up, but you can't run from the things that he's coming at you with. If you try to run from him, you'll run right into his traps and snares. So join me in this journey of Job, my ugly priest. Even in his weakness, it helps me because there's times I'm weak. Job doubts. You can be a heroic faith person and still doubt. Job did. He's a hero in the New Testament. The book of James calls him a hero of endurance. But it's not perfect endurance. It's endurance with a lot of sometimes disrespectful questions to God. But God can handle honesty. What he can't handle is deception, lies, hiding, pretending of what the devil tries to do. I go back just in closing, think about Job. 
worrying about his children. There's no mention of husbands and wives or grandchildren. I think they would have mentioned it if they were grandchildren. So were the tenths of seven sons married? Probably. Doesn't mention them. You can't get every detail about everything, but the level of pain just in saying ten children killed in one day should get, get the point across. We're dealing with the highest level of challenge and attack that you could ever imagine. But if you go back earlier where Job's sacrificing for his children, his hope wasn't in that nothing ever bad will happen. His hope was in the God that was going to take care of his kids. And he did take care of them. Even though they died, they were with him, which is the hope that we build our lives on. Is the sacrifice that Jesus made to take our sins. I don't have to kill animals for my children. You ever think about that, though, if you did, if we were still living in those days? I'd go to jail. At the vineyard, they're killing sheep today for people that want to give their hearts to Jesus. I just butchered them up here. I've never killed a sheep, by the way. But I just cut their throats and bled them all over the thing. The, the pet people would go insane. It's true. I'm not saying it's good or bad, and I know witches do that and blah, blah, blah. But I'm just saying that was the basis of our whole faith was to sacrifice innocent animals. Then Jesus came and took the place, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. He was sacrificed so the Father could take care of our sins. But that's only if you accept that. Job's children had to accept that for themselves. You have to say, yes, I want that forgiveness. Yes, I want that cleansing from the Father. Let's pray together. You know, maybe you're here and, and you've had a, a head knowledge of God, but you've never, or maybe you've had issues that, or questions that just can't be answered. And, and I didn't give you any answers today. But maybe you're starting to see that you find the answers in his sacrifice. You find it at the cross. You find it at his pain, his sorrow. His sacrifice for us, Jesus. Now, maybe you've just not made that faith transaction where you say, Lord, come take over my life. And you may be caring for your children, grandchildren, your spouse, but it, it, you've got to start with you. Where do you stand? You can't lead others where you've not been. You can't help others find the love of God if you don't know it in your own heart. So what a, what a great day to start that journey today by saying, Jesus, come be Lord of my life. Just invite him. Online, if you're listening and, and, and that's your prayer, just send us a text and say, I said yes to Jesus today. We'd love to celebrate with you. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand up together.